Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. My name is Raik van Kerk and it's my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. And my guest today is Stephen Nathan of 10X Investments. Stephen, welcome to the show. The market is currently very volatile um, and we see virtually on a daily basis significant swings. And there's a lot of talk of uh, a market reset or even a correction. Uh, wh- where do you think the local market uh, and maybe the international markets are in, in the current cycle? Thank you, Ray. So it's always very difficult to predict where the markets are going. So the only thing we know for certain is what has happened over the last while. And as you said in the introduction, is that, you know, the fabric equity market this year has had its worst performance uh, in 10 years, so you'd have to go back to 19, sorry, to 2008 to see a period of 10 months that the JC has done, you know, this badly. Um, so we're definitely in a very weak market. In the context, global markets have also been quite weak, not as weak as South Africa, but outside of the U.S., uh, you know, global markets have not done that well. So in general, we are in a downward uh, market, and I think your listeners probably know the reasons. You know, globally, obviously, with the U.S. raising interest rates, that tends to put a bit of dampener on equity markets. Um, but in South Africa, we've got some very specific uh, country factors that are, you know, leading to poor performance on the JSC. And even traditional RAND hedges like a NASPES, which normally is, uh, you know, when the market, when the RAND weakens, NASPES tends to do well because of its 10 cent exposure. But 10 cent has been under enormous pressure. So unfortunately, we're in a period where across the JC, the RAND hedges and the domestic uh, uh, counters, you know, are performing poorly. Now, where we are, uh, you know, and when, you know, when we're going to turn and uh, what is going to be the catalyst for that turn is always very hard to predict. But there are a lot of concerns regarding uh, international markets that they've run too hard, especially the the U.S. market. But when uh, we saw a bit of a, a pullback from the U.S. markets, the, the local market also pulled back, but from much lower levels. Do you think the, the, there's an imbalance currently in terms of the different valuations? Yes, there is. You know, it's always difficult to kind of say, if this happens, then we should expect this correlation with South Africa or anything else. But, you know, what do we know in South Africa? We know that the PE on the JC is still well above its long-term average. So the long-term average of the PE is roughly 15 to 16 times, you know, and we, we, we sort of at 18 times. So, you know, that would say to you that in isolation, the JC is not cheap. So, so what could make the JC more attractive or cheaper would obviously be strong earnings growth. You know, where strong earnings growth is going to come from in a recession, obviously that's questionable. So, you know, if you look at the U.S., they have had a different issue where they've had uh, very strong earnings growth. They've got good GDP, but, you know, so, so you'd be more prepared to pay uh, a higher valuation for U.S. companies. So, so there's quite a big disconnect, and, you know, what's driving the U.S. market either way is very different to what is driving in South Africa, as you said. Uh, you know, the JC is is under a lot of pressure with the medium-term budget coming up. You know, the macro, the, the government fiscus doesn't look very good. So there's a lot of specific challenges that South Africa is, is facing, which, you know, you wouldn't be facing in the U.S. or many other developed markets. But from a performance perspective, South African investors will look at U.S. markets and, and say, wow, look at that performance. And then they look at the local performance, not only in the short term, but say the medium term, the past few years. And uh, it's clear that the local market uh, underperforms international markets. Uh, how should these investors view this uh, apparent disparity? Yes. Yeah, so, so, so let me just come back and say that, uh, 
you know, we're all geniuses in hindsight. So if you look over the last five years, uh, the JSC has significantly underperformed U.S. markets. Part of that is currency, so a weak currency. Uh, part of it is that so the JSC just hasn't gone up much in five years, and the U.S. market has had a fantastic uh, uh, performance. Um, you know, if we go back five years, it was interesting that when we were speaking to you know pension fund trustees five years ago, uh, the previous five years had been a good period for the JSC relative to international markets, and people were saying to us, well, you know. I've done much better on the JC than I have in international markets five, five years ago. You know, why do I need to diversify into international markets? You know, and our answer was that, that, you know, nothing goes up in a straight line forever and nothing, you know, no single asset class or currency always outperforms another asset class. So you want to have diversification. And, and that would be our view today is to say that, uh, you know, you want to have diversification in a portfolio and you don't always want to buy more of the asset that has gone up. Uh, obviously, people are very negative about South Africa, and some people are saying to you, you know, you don't want to touch anything that is South African. But, for example, if you're in a pension fund, an RA portfolio, the most you can invest offshore is 30%. So you have to invest 70% uh, in the South African economy if you are in a pension fund uh, uh, environment, which is a lot of South African investors. And, you know, there uh, we would say that of the asset classes you have available in South Africa, being equities, property, bonds, and cash, you know, equity store is a... Uh, an attractive long-term investment. And it's more attractive today. It's more attractive when you're buying it at lower prices than it was two or three years ago at much higher prices. But let's uh, maybe investigate that in more detail. The 70% that needs to be local, a lot of people don't like being forced to invest that significant amount of money in the local market. But on the equity market, uh, where do you currently see value and, and, and where do you think investors and people saving for their retirement to channel their money? So, so at 10x, uh, as you probably know, you know we, we we track the broad market. So at 10x, our view is that uh, the market, which is the collective wisdom of all the smart people, you know, there's up to 20 billion rand uh, trades on the JC every day, and that means a seemingly smart person sells a share, and a seemingly smart person buys that same share at the same price. They both can't be right. So, so the market price is the best estimate of value at any point in time. And at 10x, you know, we say that we're not smarter to try and outperform. So what do we do at 10X? Is that we invest in the top 60 shares, and that means that by market capitalization, you're getting 90% coverage uh, of the JC. Some tracker funds only track the top 40, so you miss out on that mid, the mid-cap uh, uh, effect. And then what we do is we say that no single share should be more than 6% of the index because you've got tremendous concentration risk. For example, NASPES could have been up to 25% of your SA equity. And that's great when Nutspace is running, but risk management and diversification is about protecting the downside when things go wrong. So if you look at some of these portfolios that are heavily weighted in Nutspace, you know, they've done pretty, pretty, pretty poorly. So, so our view would be to you know, diversify as much as possible but not have over uh, exposure to any one area. If you look at the JC, on a global basis, we do tend to have a much higher resource weighting than, than other developed uh, markets. But uh, given that resources haven't done that well over the last uh, probably five, ten years, you know that level of concentration risk isn't isn't so great. So, so as I say, from 10x, we're a little bit boring because you know we don't tend to take different views to the market. If you look at valuations on the market, what you will see is that uh, the financial index uh, is trading at a discount to uh, to industrial shares and to resource shares, and that is telling you that uh, in general um, the Investors believe that the prospect for domestic South Africa and for financial 
firms that are very much geared to the economy, either GDP growth or the stock market, uh, are depressed. So that could indicate some potential value. But as I say, I mean, we would not deviate materially from a well-diversified uh, balanced portfolio for the long run investor. Why do you pick the top 60 shares? There are many other asset managers offering a top 40 tracker fund uh, or a derivative thereof. Why the top 60? When we started 10X, we, we wanted to diversify as much as possible and get broad market exposure. And as you say, um, many of the tracker funds track the top 40 because there's a liquid futures market that's very easy to, to track from the asset manager perspective, but it may not be in the best interests of long-term investors who, who want or who need broad diversification. So top 40 is very narrow. And then you also have overlay that you've got concentration risk of, you know, today it's a NASPES that could be 25% of your portfolio. And 10 years ago, it could have been Billiton or Anglo-American. So it's actually a very concentrated high-risk portfolio. And in our view, uh, for a long-run investor, you want much more diversification. So you want to capture a mid-cap effect because, in general, um, mid-cap companies tend to give you better long-term returns, not always, but over the long run. So you want to catch some of these growth companies a little bit earlier in their life cycle, not when they're becoming very large companies. So, so that would be the difference. It's uh, the mid-cap effect and less concentration risk. But we've seen absolute carnage in the mid-cap sector this year. Uh, many companies down 20%, especially, and, and some of them very, very good and well-managed companies. What has the performance comparison been between the top 60 and, and say, the top 40? If you want to know the difference in the top 40 and the top 60 or many of the indices, it really depends on NASPAS. <laughs> because because so, so we would have a lower weighting in NASPAS and NASPES this year has done poorly. So a top 60 index would have actually done better than a top 40 because it, it, it has smaller exposure to the large cap names. 10X, of course, uh, is, is, is well known for its attack on fees, fund management fees and other administrative fees. How should investors look at fees in the current volatile environment? Sometimes the, the market would move more than 1%, maybe 2% even per day. Uh, does that not affect uh, the fee structure or, or limit the impact fees would have on a portfolio? So, so if you're a long-term investor, what matters is long-term returns. And any daily movement, uh, in fact, a weekly or monthly movement or a daily or weekly or monthly fee is, is going to have no impact. So the problem with fees is that it's the long-term impact that matters. What's interesting about returns is that uh, in the long run, uh, returns for equity markets tend to be about 6% to 7% above inflation. So it's inflation plus 6 or 7 or a real 6 or 7% return. And you tend to earn that over all long-term periods, irrespective of the inflation rates. But a long-term period is five years and longer, not, you know, not one or two years or certainly not one or two weeks. So if you're a long-term investor, which most people that are you know, saving for retirement, you're going to be in the system for probably 30, 40 years. Or if it's a living annuity, you could be in for you know, up to 60 years. You're going to actually be an investor. So you need to look at fees over that context. And the return you're likely to earn, despite you know, the boom periods and the terrible periods, you know, you're going to earn about inflation plus six in the right portfolio. So, so when you pay 3% fees, which is the average retail investor in South Africa, you know, three over six means that you are eroding half of your real return and the compounded impact is, is substantially greater. So you're going to be giving the vast majority of your potential wealth 
is going to be given to the investment industry and not for your own benefit. So you need to understand fees, as I said, not on a daily basis, but you know, on a on a on a long term basis. I think people are becoming much more aware of fees because everything that's written about it. But also, you know, in an environment at the moment where people are seeing a negative return on the investment, yet they're still seeing portfolio managers and others earn big fees. Uh, you know, that's when they start to question whether they are getting value. You know, I was actually thinking the other day, there's some very large balance funds that have got over 100 billion of assets. And these balance funds have expense ratios of over 1.5%. You know, so they're making something like, you know, 1.5 to 2 billion rand portfolio management fee and they're delivering clients a negative return. So I think people, you know, are quite rightly going to be upset when they see that. It's the, the active versus passive debate. I read a, an article recently where it is stated that the nature of trading has changed so significantly over the years. Uh, many years ago, it was amateurs trading. And today, as you also said earlier, it is professionals trading and you need a difference of opinion from very smart people. Would it bring another dynamic uh, to active management? Let me just say something. So, so I don't think fees is an active uh, passive debate. Uh, to be honest, I think it is a, uh, it's what's right for the investor debate. Because if you're an active manager with 100 billion of assets, you know, or 500 billion of assets, you know, why do you need to charge the same as an, as an active manager with a billion? Where are the economies of scale? So, so I think if you do the numbers and you see the, the fees that these asset managers with scale are, are earning, uh, it's not an active versus passive debate. It's a philosophy of, uh, I would say, do I care more about myself or my clients? How does the local fee structures compare to international fee structures? So South Africa has amongst the highest fees in the world. Morningstar, uh, an international company that does research on this, uh, in 2015 in their Global Investor Report, which looked at 25 countries around the world, including South Africa, concluded that South Africa had amongst the highest fees in the world. And they were looking at retail investors uh, and you know, some of the comments they made is that in South Africa, uh, performance fees are very prevalent, which they're not in other markets. Um, you've got platform fees as well. So when you look at the total cost of investing, you know, South Africa is on the uh, the more you know the the more expensive end. In in some way, you can say it's partly justified because we're a much smaller market than the US. So if you look at you know active managing fees in the US, you would expect them to be you know higher than in South Africa in a much smaller market. And it's also fair to say that if you look at passive funds, you know, in the US, uh, these, these fees are lower. But even adjusting for that in other markets, South Africa is on the higher end. We'll have to leave it there. That was Stephen Nathan. He is the CEO of 10X Investments.